Welcome to the Lucky Let Cord Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express. I'm your host, Chris Otto. Happy to be with you on a Tuesday, January 8th. Happy New Year, tennis fans. The 2019 tennis season is upon us. We have a week of results already in the books. Fast and furious out of the new year, less than 48 hours until we'll get draws at the Aussie Open. Those draws are set to be held in Melbourne, 6 p.m. local time. And get this, tennis fans, less than five days until first ball at the Happy Slam. Lots to talk about today. We had an exciting week of tennis that is now in the books. Second week is underway. We've got events going on in Sydney, in Auckland, and also Hobart. Richard Pagliaro, Tennis Now's editor and my right-hand man, will be on board to chat about some of the events of the week that was. So we're going to talk a little bit about Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic, their chances in Melbourne. We're going to talk a little bit about the Hopman Cup and how sad it would be if this event does not happen anymore in the future. We're also going to look closely at Arena Sabalenka and Naomi Osaka, two players who made big headlines in the first week. But before we do that, Let's have a little bit of a look at where you guys can find us on the web and on social in 2019. You can hit us up on Twitter at tennis underscore now, also facebook.com slash tennis now. And if you're looking for the podcast, and we hope that you are, you can find our podcast homepage at tennisnow.podomatic.com. We're also on iTunes and Spotify. We hope you'll come find us there. Now let's talk about the week that was in tennis and look ahead to the Aussie Open. Okay, Richard Pagliaro, Tennis Now's main editor, is on the phone with me. We're celebrating the new year. We're celebrating the Australian Open, which is about to have a draw ceremony in two days. Gosh, it happens fast, doesn't it, Richard? So fast. And like you were saying, you know, we're coming out of the New Year's Eve festivities, not staggered, but pumped up (laughs) and excited. That's right. Very excited. So we have, what, uh, nine days of tennis that we've seen already. So, you know, it's a lot to take in. It happens fast. Like you said, we need to kind of um, use the history of what players have done in Australia before and know which players are good coming in, uh, coming off the offseason. But um, two players I want to start off this discussion with, Naomi Osaka, Arena Sabalenka. They both had very interesting weeks. Sabalenka, of course, winning the Shenzhen title. Naomi Osaka falling to Serenko in the Brisbane semis and making a lot of headlines with what she said in press after that. Give me your initial takeaways from those two players in the last week. Uh, I think with Naomi Osaka, you know, I I like that she's expressive and that she lets you in and lets you know that the stress is there and it's real. And you know what? Why wouldn't it be? You know, you're 21 years old. You're coming off first major. A lot of people are picking you to win the Australian. I mean, it's it's a huge amount on someone who's, in terms of Grand Slam experience, relatively inexperienced. If you really look at her track record before New York, I mean, she... Sure, she had the uh, round of 16 run in Australia and the great match with Madison Keys, but she doesn't have that extensive experience. It's a lot on her, but I think it's good that she got it out. I think emotionally you flush it out of your system. It's a new year. It's a brand new start. And look, you're not number one in the world. You're not the defending champion. And you can you have a lot to gain, so look at it as an opportunity. But I'm not that – like, I, I don't think it's that – you know, disastrous. What happened? I think she was just honest about where she's at, and and to me, it's to be expected. Mm-hmm. I can make the opposite argument, where I think once again we see a sign of her maturity, where she's self-aware, she's critical. 
I don't think you you there are there are many twenty one year old tennis players out there that don't have difficult moments like she had on court where they have doubt where they have frustration and she was disappointed that she actually wasn't more stoic out there. She's really I I feel like a lot of people think she's emotionally vulnerable and maybe she is to an extent, but I I like the fact that she sees it as a chance to improve. Yeah, and also just to support what you just said, I mean, look at the best tournament of her life. She did it in New York in a really stressful environment, crazy heat, sweltering humidity, no coaching allowed on court. She was able to figure it out and, like you say, maintain that sense of calm. So maybe it's just her expressing, look, this is how I feel I play my best. When I'm calm, it's like what Venus always says, fake it till you make it, even if you feel stressed and you feel like a thousand different emotions colliding inside you if you if you don't show the opponent or the world that nobody knows right yeah i i, I agree i think there's several ways to interpret what we saw from osaka in that press conference and on the court in that loss against Zarenko. and i think there are positive takeaways i think she's more mature than people um believe or maybe maybe are giving her credit for for being she's um she's showed incredible strength in new york at the u.s open like we all saw and that came only a month after she made that stunning revelation on social media i think it was august 16th where she put that memorable tweet out where she talked about how much difficulty she had been having since winning indian wells and how the expectations had made her feel frustrated and anxious and we were worried about her then and look at look at her response last september so i i I wonder, I wonder if she's going to have a similar response to this Australian Open. It'll be her fourth time playing in the main draw. She reached the round of 16 last year, which was her best performance. I think she sets up pretty nicely for this tournament. Um, and moving on to Arena Sabalenka, this is an interesting one because she played extremely well in Shenzhen, but she doesn't have a whole lot of experience at the Australian Open. Of course, she lost her only main draw match there last year. What's your takeaway on her form thus far this season? Oh, man, she looked really, really good. And um, I'll tell you, the match against Sharapova, I realized, you know, it's the first tournament. You don't want to over-exaggerate, but she just demolished. I mean, she just obliterated her. Sharapova is still one of the biggest hitters of the ball on the tour, and she was just pounding the first strike. And then also the final, the maturity she showed against Risk, where, you know, she was up against, she could have lost that match. I mean, that was a really tight second. You know, she had to come back from behind. And uh, to me, she's... Uh, I wouldn't call her a dark horse because she gave Naomi the toughest match of anybody yeah. at the U.S. Open. To me, she's a legitimate outside contender. I would put her below Serena, Kerber, Osaka, maybe as a second tier of possible contender. I would. I think she's got a better shot than Wozniacki does, really. I really do, depending on the draw, obviously. But, I mean, she looked really good. And then she has a like no turnaround to come back and play Sydney. And, she, you know, the first set and a half against Petra, she was obviously really flat, but she battled the second set and made it a competitive second set. And she showed you the maturity in her game, even against risk when she was getting passed a few times, she kept coming, kept coming and kept making her come up with something special. And her forehand down the line, the inside in forehand, the ability mm -hmm. to attack, off that shot, that's a big shot, and you give her any mid-court ball on the forehand side, to me, she's one of the best forehand finishers right now that we have, you know, obviously Serena and Naomi Osaka as well, but she can finish the ball. If she can get the mid-court or even the three-quarter court ball, she finishes with the forehand, and that's huge in Australia, especially if it's playing fast.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, good points. I, I like this player so much. I mean, 11 in the world today versus uh, 66 last year at the Australian Open. So obviously significant improvements made by her. She's 8-6 and six lifetime against the top 10, so has no trouble playing against the best players on tour. Yeah, I put her in there in those, you know, the sort of handful of favorites that could that have a chance to win there. And like you said, I have Angelique Kerber, I have Sabalenka, I like Osaka, of course, Serena Williams. But I put those names on the top tier um, of favorites. And then I kind of dropped down a little bit for a lot of the other names. Uh, I might be missing a few and we'll get into them. But yeah, I, Sabalenka looks great. God, she's so physical. And I think pointing back to your take on her match against Sharapova, I think that's a great matchup for her because that's two people trying to do the same thing. And I don't think anybody can do it any better than Sabalenka right now in terms of that first strike power forehand type of tennis. Now, you cannot strong arm her with the forehand. You have to make her move and move laterally. And also, she's developed a kind of nice backhand slice. But if you can make her defend stretched behind the baseline and make her hit, take the one hand off the backhand, that's where you can kind of get her. But she, like you said, she's a physical force. And the other thing is the, the desire, the competitive ferocity that she, she's really into playing. She gets pumped up for the big points. She expects a lot out of herself. And she's a really positive, like, hunger out there that it's exciting to see it it's like someone who she's on the cusp of a real big breakthrough and really has the desire and she's not whining complaining about errors she just keeps battling it's really it's fun to see it and let's face it she finished last year playing in asia wuhan look at that run she had through asia last year and the australian open bills itself as the slam of asia pacific and she's had good memories good results in asia yeah good point good point it's 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 crazy to think about where we were last year as i pointed out Sabalenka 66 Osaka 72 was her ranking at last year's Australian Open these two women have come a long way in a short period of time right absolutely and they have they both have the weapons and the ability to play the match on their terms if they're landing the first serve and that's a big thing when you walk out there and know you don't have to be reactive or responsive or passive where you can put the hammer down you know you hear Pliskova when she won last week she says that hey I felt it was on my terms it was on my racket when I'm serving that's a big thing when you can go out there and feel if I make the first serve and make the first strike this match is on my terms and that's I feel like she feels that way. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And now you mentioned Pliskova. Yeah, another player who I'd say is uh, made a nice, made a really nice run at at Brisbane. That was an impressive final that she was able to win from Serenko. I think that's going to give her a lot of confidence moving forward. Do you think she, you put her up there as one of the potential winners of this tournament? Absolutely, and the and the strides she's made with Stubbs, and also the confidence that she's showing in the serve. She seems to be snapping it more, like she did during her run to the uh, U.S. Open final. I think just for her, the challenge is when she gets into a big match against the more athletic players. What I mean is the better movers, like you know Naomi moves better, Serena moves better, Sloan moves better something like that where you can really get her with a low ball and jerk her around the court a little that's where she has problems but her serve and her forehand i mean those are two huge huge weapons and she showed him like you said hey serenko was playing really really serenko played had a great tournament and she played a great final Serenko's one of those players like a Sevastova, Serenko. You don't want to deal with them at any point in in Australia, especially in the heat. Serenko's super fit, too. I love her game. She's very steady. I wish I could play like that. You know? <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, she and she's so professional about it, and I like her attitude after the way she analyzes the match. You could tell she thinks of it from her perspective, but also what the opponent's trying to do to hers, and that shows an awareness of, hey, not only am I trying to do this, but I'm trying to counter her from doing this to me. And another player we didn't mention, Julia Gorgas, and 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 Auckland also Jeannie Bouchard making some strides, doubles, and you know a few positive, putting some positive matches together in singles. It's 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 fun to see that. Strong mental effort from Gerges to get past the 18-year-old Andreescu in the Auckland final was not an easy task. No, not at all. Gerges really had a grind through a couple of those matches, but God, she she's another one where it gets tight. She played aggressive, and she really earned it that way. She was she was daring. She was courageous. She was bold at the right times. Okay, you you have your prediction hat on by any chance? Uh, I can get it on. I mean, <laughs> Put it on. I want you to tell me who's going to have the better season when it's all said and done, Sabalenka or Osaka? Wow, good question. Uh, uh, you know, I probably... Uh, that's a tough one. Uh, I probably lean... <laughs> I tough. lean toward Osaka, even though the pressure, I, Osaka, you know, defending Indian Wells, defending the U.S., I mean, there's, there's more pressure on her, and also there, you know, Sabalink has more upside, she's outside. But yeah, I'd probably lean toward Osaka, but it would be very, very slight. Yep. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. I, I think a lot of people are waiting for Osaka to fail and just to melt down and have like a year like Kerber had in 2017. I don't think it's going to happen. I think she's very, a very, very special player. I agree with you, and also I think she has more weapons than Kerber, and that's no disrespect to Kerber because Kerber has more majors, so she's obviously more accomplished. But I think Naomi's upside is is higher, and Naomi can she can hurt you in more ways. She can do more, especially with the forehand. But you know she's developing the game, and also I think she understands now that you don't have to play toward the line. You have so much explosiveness and power, you can just rein it in a little, bring the margins in a little, and then that makes her even so much more dangerous because look the serena match at the end she was winning the longer rallies too she's winning the longer rallies she was she was it was amazing uh, I, I didn't think we would talk so much about the women's game but there is one more small little subject i want to cover and that is angelique kerber to me i think she's the favorite in australia i think she looks amazing she was fantastic last night against camille georgie she looked great at hotman cup she looks fit she's got three major titles she is just, I feel like she's yet to even come into her own. She might win a couple majors this year. I don't know what it yeah, is. Yeah, she could be. I agree with you 100%. And she looked great in Hotman Cup. Even that last, the final against Switzerland, that last stretch, she played really well, standing up to some of Federer's forehands. Her hands were so quick on some of the returns. I think that really helped her. And like you said, Camila Georgie is still one of the biggest hitters in the game. I mean, that was a hellacious opening set. And she stood right in there and face the fire and really when she has the down the line off the forehand working and when you see her getting low and driving those low balls i mean just think of that in the in the sweat and swelter of melbourne she's so physical so fit and so tough she's going to be really really tough yeah of course a, a new coach this year could make it interesting and then simona Halep with without a coach at the time for the time being so it'd be interesting to see how those players are able to go on with their new situations as well 
funny. We spent 10, 15 minutes talking about all the favorites, and we didn't really touch on what was the accurate help, and they played one of the best finals, you know, that you'll see in years and years and years, but it's you're exactly right. That's the reason. It's just the unknown. We don't know. We haven't seen her. We don't know what she's going to bring. We don't, and we'll get to them. We've got plenty of podcasts to do. I'm sure we'll be talking plenty about Simona Halep and Carolyn Wozniacki uh, later, in this, later in the week, even. This message is paid for by the Lucky Let Cord Podcast. If you like to listen to your tennis podcasts on iTunes, all you have to do is open the app, click the search button, type in Lucky Let Cord Podcast, and voila. You, me, and tennis. Together at last. Thanks for listening, everybody. Now back to the interview. But let's move on to the men. Let's let's talk about the men. Federer looked great at Hopman Cup. Novak Djokovic also looked pretty solid in Doha. A lot of people concerned that he wasn't able to get past Roberto Bautista Agu. Lost that tough three-setter. What do you make of those two? Are they the only two people you could see winning in Australia? Because that's how I feel right now. I'd say there's, I'd put it at 80 to 85% that one of those two wins because between the two of them, you know, you're looking at 12, what, 12 of the last 14, you know, and one of them can make history winning seven and breaking the tie with Roy Emerson. So there's a lot on the table. Yeah, I definitely feel like those two are the, are the overwhelming favorites. And then now, you know, with the Zverev, maybe he's strained, maybe he's not. Rafa doesn't have the match play, but he's Rafa, you know, you know, he's going to be there. And then to me, it's just like, are any of the young guns going to really step up at the major level? Like, like we mentioned Zverev's, it's a past team has done it. He's shown you he can do it. To me, Nishikori, you know, coming off a pretty right. big title, and he's a guy, and he had a great U.S. Open last year. He loves that surface. I'm not saying he's going to win the title, but, I mean, he can definitely do damage. Good point on Nishikori. To me, he's... To me, it's 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 the Roger and Novak show, and like you mentioned, their statistics: twelve out of fourteen. Roger's on a fourteen-match winning streak in Australia, and he looked just crisp at Hopman Cup. But Nishikori, he, did. he really did. Nishikori and Kevin Anderson, to me, are would I would put as number three and four right now, just because the way they started the season and the way they finished last season, they both show in a lot of maturity, and they're both playing a lot of great ball. So I expect big things from them. Yeah, absolutely, and Kevin Anderson has done it now at the major level. He doesn't want a major, but he's contested major finals. He's shown you he can beat top players, you know, the win over Federer. I mean, he shows you at the major level he can beat these top guys. I just think at the ultimate stage, the movement is a is a big diff. You know, it distinguishes Djokovic and Federer over him, so you have to really then play short points, and then that's predicated on you got to make a lot of first serves, and when that doesn't happen, that there's an issue. Right, and, and circling back to Novak, Here's. Uh, do you still have that prediction cap on? <laughs> yeah, you yeah. That? Novak, yeah, yeah. Novak or the field in Australia? Wow, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, you know, I'd have to say the. It's hard to say. I'd have to say the field. I mean, I, I know it sounds weird because, uh, and I'm not just saying that based on what happened in Doha. I just think that they're. The variables, the conditions, playing day versus night, you know. Yeah, I'd have to say the field, but it's not a convincing prediction. I mean, definitely Novak is, in my mind, Novak's a 
really, really, really strong favorite. Okay, I'm going to say Novak, and I, I'm curious to see if you if you believe that the loss to Batista Agu and maybe the other losses in the finals that we saw in the last, you know, the one to Hatchinoff in Paris, do, or do, do these um, make you feel any differently about Novak's chances? The fact that he's had a couple losses to players maybe that you wouldn't expect, or do you think he's a different animal? at the majors, which is what I currently believe, that you're going to see a different level of Djokovic. At this stage of his career, I feel like he's okay with the Batista Agu loss, that that he might have had to work too hard to get that win, and I think he knows his body and he knows what he's up against. Um, maybe in three, you know, five years ago when his reign of terror was underway, it might have been a different story. Yeah, I think he, he's at a stage in his career now where it's about managing schedule, managing your body and your emotional and peaking for the May. It's all about the majors right now. And so I don't think that – I don't really put – look, he, it was a tough match, you know, and he, he played well. I mean, he didn't play poorly. He got beat. But Batista could also beat – you know, he beat Warica. He had some good wins. He beat Burdish, beat Warica. I mean, he was just uh, the informed player, deserved the title. So I don't I, – no, it doesn't, it doesn't change my opinion at all. I think the thing is that – the younger guys, they don't have the scar tissue or the bad memories of losing to him in majors. So what you saw in Paris with Kachinoff or what you saw last year in Australia with, with Chung or what you've seen, seen with Zverev in, in Masters events, I don't think those guys, if they got a shot at him, I don't think they're going to choke. It's like, you know, you're going to beat them or they're going to beat you. You know, I don't think that they're afraid of the moment. Those guys, you know, the younger. I don't think that they're they're feared. Having said that, the guy's a six-time champion. It's a tournament he's dominated. He said multiple times it's his favorite tournament. It's where he feels most comfortable. And you know, he's got a lot. He can only really gain after last year. I mean, he can really push it. I yeah, he's a huge favorite in my mind for sure. Sixty-one and eight lifetime at the Australian yeah, Open. Yeah. Six titles. He went thirty-nine and one from two thousand eleven to twenty sixteen in Melbourne. And then you got Federer, 94 and 13 lifetime with six titles. These guys, jeez. Yeah, and Federer looked like you said a Hobbit Cup really, really sharp. And if you're a Federer fan or in the Federer camp, you got to take solace in the fact that Paris match, the indoor match, he played him. I mean, as a tooth and nail match, could have gone either way. And if the roof is closed in Australia, similar conditions. If the court is playing quick, plays to his advantage, he can close at the net, stuff like that. You have to draw on those elements as the the pauses but certainly Djokovic against anybody is a, is the favorite mm-hmm. I have to say so yeah um well last subject i want to touch on it's a, it was a fun one this first week of the season to watch the Hopman Cup and all it's always a great event it's it's obviously been helped by the appearance of Roger Federer in the last few seasons but how about that Federer versus Serena Williams mixed doubles contest and just the event in in general it looks like it might be going away what are your thoughts on the lasting legacy of this event I know that people always diminish it and say, oh, it's just an XO, nobody cares, but I love this, I love it, and I've, hey, I'm one of those people, I go to the XOs at Madison Square Garden, or I was at the Indian Wells when it was uh, Djokovic, I where it was Federer, Nadal, Sampras, I love the Hobbit Cup, I think it's one, I think it's a great event, I think it's a real shame and real sad if it does go away, because you think of all the great champions that have played there, Federer, Hingis, Serena, Monica Sellers, on and on, and that, you know, also, I think one thing that people don't realize is just the global buzz that that moment created. I live in New York. It was on the, the morning news, like Roger Federer, Serena Williams. I mean, people, non-tennis people, non-sports people stop and stood up and took notice that these are great, great champions facing off for the first and probably only time. I mean, it was tremendous 
does in PR for tennis and also shows what distinguishes tennis from every other sport that's great. You'll never see LeBron James playing five-on-five against the WNBA best player, but, you know, here's the two iconic greatest champions head-to-head, and it was competitive and fun, and everyone loved it. And it was just a great commercial for tennis, and to take that away... To me, it's just another case of tennis just self-sabotaging. And here's a great thing. Fans love it. You know, the federal practices were great. Yep. And then you're just going to take it away because you can't agree on the money over Davis Cup and the ATP. It's just silly. It's just it's just silly. You know, you can't. you got to look big picture. You know, you're always talking about growing the game. Well, then act like you want to grow the game. Keep this event going. Yeah, it, it would be nice, and, and it isn't dead yet. I mean, we're waiting for the third city right, for the ATP right. Cup. They've got Sydney and Brisbane, and it looks like Perth right. might be that third city, and if Perth is, then the Hopman Cup will probably be gone as we know it, which, in my opinion, leaves a great opportunity for somebody down the road to possibly pick this event up and and, and you know reinvent it, just like it's the the ATP Cup has been is Dusseldorf reinvented. And yeah, that's going to be a great event. Make no mistake about it. We should be excited about it. But if somebody like a Larry Ellison, per se, or that type of person has the wisdom and the foresight to grab this event and move it, possibly put it in the week before the U.S. Open in New York City or maybe in Paris before the Roland Garros, I mean, there's a great opportunity. I think a lot of people have been clamoring about the need for this type of event and how much they enjoy it, particularly this week, because we know that the Hopman Cup, as we know it, could be dead. And I think if somebody out there is smart and listening we will see something like this and it'll be it'll be an event to be cherished i just hope that if it does die that somebody will will reinvent it somewhere else yeah i agree with everything you just said and the one other thing i would just like to say is if you look at its history they have a great history of bringing young future stars and showing you them against established stars like people forget roger Federer partnering he was a kid partnering with Hingis when they won it that was like his first big moment of winning something and everyone's like wow this Federer guy is going to be great and this year you know with sits pass or last year was there it's just a great platform to bring the not only men and women together competing but the young and the established stars together and to see them on the same stage and you know hanging out together practicing the, and just the playfulness of like the happy slam it puts us all in a happy kind of buzz it's like a great house party where you just want it to go on and on and on the music's great everyone's drinking everyone's yeah. having a great time and then it's like they just pull the plug while we're done you know it's just kind of a buzz kill yeah and and as, as far as a preseason warm-up the guaranteed matches are incredible a lot of people you going to brisbane and going to auckland and losing first round they're not getting a whole lot out of it but this way you get three guaranteed matches against usually a pretty good opponent so that's also right and let's not forget that was the biggest crowd they ever had in history so i'm not saying that they're going to draw that kind of level every single you know 30 year history but you know that's a big thing where you draw the biggest crowd ever and also the tv audience was one of the biggest ever and then to just kind of step off of it it's not smart in my view yeah, it's it's not. It's, there's a lot of push by Tennis Australia to get that ATP Cup going, so I guess that's the priority. But like I said, I think it's an opportunity for for New York or for Paris or for anybody who's got the vision to do this somewhere. I mean, maybe you and I can put together. I have I have like five hundred bucks in the bank, Richard. We can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we'll put that in the prediction cap and pass it around <laughs> yeah, down the subway and see where we could get going. Maybe that'll. But like you said, let's let's be optimistic, and it's not dead yet. And also, you know, there's some speculation at the ATP Cup that maybe they can eventually merge that oh, with Davis. Please. Oh, 
Although, you know, who knows? I mean, you can't even get these guys in a room together. Like, who knows? But you never know. You know, you got to be optimistic. And it's the start of the year. Let's start on a happy, positive note. So let's hope for the best. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not encouraged. By the way, by the way it's, it's a shame. It's a great event. I hope they, I hope they understand that. I hope yeah. they realize how, like, the worldwide impact that when it, it's, with tennis is on the regular news in January and it's not a grand slam, that's a great thing for tennis and to encourage people and, and to just, you know, spread the, spread the joy about the game it's just a great thing i agree well he is richard pagliaro tennis now's editor this was a great chat richard and we're going to do many more <laughs> probably yeah i battled on that but it was great talking to you as well awesome. so hopefully we'll do one yeah. right before uh, once we get those draws at the australian open so we'll talk to you real soon thanks for coming on yeah by then we'll have 501 dollars together so. in the <laughs> go for me <laughs> okay thanks a lot thanks, thank you Oh, yeah. Well, we didn't cover everything, but we covered as much as we could. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Thanks to Richard Pagliaro for joining us. Wow. 2019 tennis season underway. Aussie Open draws in a few days. We'll be back before the weekend to get you a little bit of draw analysis. We might have a special guest. And keep in mind, we'll be doing podcasts every day during the Australian Open and weekly or daily throughout the year depending on the situation so we're looking forward to having a special year with you guys thanks a lot for listening we'll see you next time the lucky light court podcast